Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to come by the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on to the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right. Well, that's um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, a parable is a short story that makes a point. Uh, They were a normal tool in Middle Eastern education, and Jesus used them a lot. In fact, he rarely answered someone's question directly. He normally responded with a question or a story. I think it's because he knew that it is always more powerful when we come to a conclusion ourselves than when we just believe what we've been told. But anyway, chances are, whether this is your first Sunday in church or you've been here a hundred times, you have some kind of familiarity with this story and the morality it teaches, which is what? Love others. But that love isn't just a feeling. I mean, after all, the Samaritan didn't just come along and go, oh, isn't that sad, and keep going. Love is, act- love is put into action. So love others, but love's not a feeling. It requires action, but also... All of humanity is included in the definition of our neighbor. No one should be excluded from our love, especially not for political or racial issues. Um, I've heard this story retold many times by a preacher trying to translate the emotional impact of this story on Jesus' listeners to today. I don't know what you would put in that bracket. I guess we could use um, a Ukrainian who's found injured and nursed to health by a Russian soldier, Or maybe an Israeli Defense Force member who is found hurt and nursed to health by a member of Hamas. I'm not quite sure that for us, as modern British people, there's a clear political or racial enemy. But anyway, the point is clear. Love other people, even those you don't like. Love your enemies. 
So you could sum up the moral teachings of this uh, parable in something like this. Love others by extending costly, compassionate, practical help to all of humanity, whether you like them or not. Now, I think this is a pretty good principle. I think most people in society would agree that it's probably the right way to live. But my question this morning is, is this what Luke wanted us to get from the story? Is this the intention that Jesus had in his interaction with the lawyer? Was he trying to get the lawyer to just be more loving and a little bit less racist? Was he just trying to get him to come up with a little bit more of an inclusive interpretation of the Jewish laws? Does whatever moral principle we come up with answer the lawyer's initial question, which was this, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what is the lawyer asking here and why is he asking it? Well, actually, he's asking the question which is at the heart of why Jesus came, which is at the heart of Jesus's ministry and actually at the heart of the scriptures themselves. The question he's asking is, what must I do to be in right relationship with God? Well, why is he asking it? Is this a humble, spiritual searching for truth? Well, no, it doesn't really seem so. And we see this in his behavior and also the text. Because it was traditional at the time for teachers to either stand or sit um, raised up and their pupils to sit on the floor around them at their feet. But the passage tells us that the lawyer stood to ask his question. And in this, he was challenging Jesus' authority. And Luke also tells us that he asked the question to test or to trap Jesus. And later in verse 29, we see it says he asked it to justify himself. So he wanted to trick Jesus into revealing that he was something like a heretic. He was hoping Jesus would say, well, you don't have to obey all those laws and commands and be good and moral and honest and all that. All you have to do is trust in me, be my follower, and it's all good. And then the lawyer would get to stand, well, he's already standing, I guess. He would get to point the finger and say, you dishonor the law of Moses. You dishonor the laws of our father. Your teaching encourages sinful living and so forth and have a good go at Jesus. And in that context, he'd be right. Well, he wants to trap Jesus, but Jesus has a trap too. He asked the man, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I don't know if you've ever had a teacher like that. I think the best kind of teachers aren't those who just tell you everything they know. Good teachers are the ones who teach you to think, who ask good questions, who test your thinking. I had a philosophy lecturer like this who would set forth a theory, ask us a question. We would come up with some kind of clever, what we thought was some kind of clever answer. He'd ask just a little subtle question that would completely destroy whatever theory we'd come up with. And so forth and so on, until he worked us into a kind of intellectual corner where the only alternative, the only option to get out was the truth. Now, Jesus is a good teacher, and throughout the Gospels, you see him do this to the people he talks to. And maybe some of you are here, and you're wrestling with a question. 
and you just don't feel like you're finding the answer particularly easily. Well, that's the way a good teacher works. But a good teacher puts you in that position until finally you find the truth. In this case, you discover Jesus only traps you to get you to turn to him. It's a trap of love. And that's what he's doing in this question for the lawyer. How do you read the law? Now, the only way to answer that question would be to either read the whole uh, of the five books of the Old Testament in about five or six hours standing there, which is probably not what he's asking for, or to summarize it. And when you summarize something, when you boil it down to its essence and you, see what, you can see what's at its core, the lawyer responds with what was actually a traditional summary of the law at the time. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, which is from Deuteronomy 9, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is from Leviticus 19. And Jesus simply replies, you have answered correctly. But actually, in this answer, there is a lot more going on. Much to the disappointment of the lawyer, Jesus doesn't dismiss the Old Testament laws. He elevates them. By just saying, yes, your summary is right, Jesus is saying, Yes, love, perfect love is at the heart of the law. If you want to justify yourself and be, right in, be in right relationship with God because of what you do, then you need to keep the law perfectly. So Jesus does this in, his, in other teachings. He says, the law says, do not commit adultery. I say, if you even look at someone with lust in your heart, you say, don't murder. I say, if you have ever hated someone, then you are guilty. What is Jesus trying to do? Is he just trying to raise the bar, give us some even harder rules to follow than are already there, get us to work a bit harder to get closer to God? I don't think so. I think Jesus is trying to expose something, to reveal our desperate need for help to corner us, to force us to face the truth that we need him. And this is what Jesus is trying to get to with the lawyer. He wants to expose the foundation of the lawyer's self-reliance. And Jesus wants to do that for all of us. That in many ways is the difficult part of being a disciple because Jesus is constantly seeking to renovate our hearts tearing up the floor and digging up the foundations of our self-reliance. For this lawyer, it was his religious obedience. It might be your intellect, your productivity, your savings, or how much people like you, or something else. What is it for you? What is it in your life at the moment that holds you back from completely relying on Jesus? The only way to be in right relationship with God is to stop trying and humbly collapse into Jesus' arms of grace. In a strange, typically Jesus way, the principle from this passage could be you can't be in right relationship with God until you realize there isn't anything you can do to be in right relationship with God. The lawyer may be realizing this 
wants to still be able to justify himself, justify his own worldview, his own limitations, his own ability to succeed and achieve. And he asks, but who is my neighbor? He wants Jesus to give him maybe something a bit more manageable. Limit this for me. Really, everybody? Give me something I can do and can still achieve. You see, you could break the Old Testament down into 600, 700 individual rules and tick them off and feel like, well, I don't get them all, but I'm doing pretty good. But when you're confronted with the essence of the law as perfect love, you know you fall short. If we walk away from today, from this parable with a new rule, love others by extending costly, compassionate, practical help to all of humanity, whether you like them or not, how does that help us? I'd say that most of my friends who don't follow Jesus, who have rejected Christianity, would agree with that as a moral statement. And many of them, that's how they try and live. Many of them are pretty trying really hard, actually, they're vegan, they're plastic-free, they are avid recyclers who grow their own food and give generously to charity, who advocate for refugees and the marginalized. In fact, they're a real inspiration and often at times a challenge to me. But also many of my friends aren't trying so hard, but they certainly feel like they should be. They feel the moral pressure. They feel guilty. And that's what we get if we divorce this high moral standard of Jesus from the life and ministry of Jesus. If you have these high moral expectations without grace and forgiveness, if you have a good moral teacher without a savior, at the extremes you end up with a proud sense of judgmental arrogance that you are doing better than everybody else. And at the other extreme, you end up discouraged, guilty, and depressed because you are so aware of your inadequacy and failure. Well, you probably won't be surprised that neither of those places is where Jesus wants you to be. What he wants is for our actions to be motivated and empowered by our experience of his love for us. You see, if we push too hard on the relationship over activity thing, the being right with God by not having to do anything, then we end up with an individualistic spirituality that has no need for community, no need for loving action. What you end up with is a face that looks more like someone just sitting on top of a mountain, all on their own, in perfect relationship with God, praying all the time, but never benefiting anyone. And ultimately, that kind of detached individualistic spirituality it's just selfishness. That's not what Jesus wants. But equally, if you're just loving other people all the time, working really hard to earn as many holy points as you can to get into God's good books, then that's also selfish. So does Jesus want us to recognize that we can't love others as we should and to come to a place of relying fully on him? Yes. But does he also want us to love others in costly, practical ways? Yes. So how do we reconcile these two? Well, I think we can do that in some way in Jesus, who was our good Samaritan. The Bible tells us that before we trust in Jesus, 
we are God's enemies. And that Jesus found us as spiritually dead and rescued us. He poured the healing oil of the Holy Spirit into our hearts and brought us back to life. He purchased our healing and restored us at great cost to himself, the sacrifice of his life. And he has placed us in a loving community to care for us, the church, the family of God, until he comes back for us. So for those of us who know this kind of love, who've experienced its power, who have chosen to build their lives on it, practical, costly, compassionate love for others is a natural overflow. That is not to say it's easy or it doesn't require effort. It's easy to grow weary of doing good, but there is a certain power and sustainability that comes when our actions flow from a revelation of God's love for us and not out of a need to demonstrate our own goodness. So to come back to the challenge of the parable of the Good Samaritan, and maybe approach it from a different angle, it may not be clear who our enemies are, but who do you exclude from the love of God? It might be because you feel like they're too far away, that they could never come to it because they've done too much, or they're not interested Or it might be that actually you feel like, well, they're pretty good. They're living the moral principles of this parable. Do they really need God? I think for all of us, we know that we need God. The difference that coming into right relationship with him brings and the grace that comes with it. So just um, before we have a moment to respond in worship, we're just going to pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us. That you sent Jesus into the world to find us, to rescue us, to place us in community. Jesus, I pray, would you help us to, by your Spirit, have a fresh revelation of your love for us today. And would that move us in compassion towards those you love in the world? Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.